0: This is the Grazia Life Advice Podcast. Thank you for being with us. I'm Rhiannon Evans, and this is the podcast where we get tips about life from brilliant women. This time, someone who's been shaping our music tastes since
1: 2006
0: as part of BBC Radio 1's Evening DJ lineup.
1: My name is Annie McManus, most popular, I suppose, known as Annie Mac. I am a broadcaster, a podcaster, a DJ and an author.
0: Coming up, Annie fills us in on her clubbing days, when things might
1: have got a bit out of hand. There's been some very, very bonkers, crazy times, and and I look back at the way that I live my life in my late 20s and early 30s, and I'm just like, (laughs) how did you do that?
0: Later this year, Annie releases her debut novel called Mother Mother, and it's not what you might expect from the party
1: club DJ. It's a book that is grief and motherhood and, and growing up and it's a book about addiction as well and family loss I mean it's pretty dark yeah <laughs> <laughs> my husband finished it and he was like you've written the darkest book where did that come from
0: and why she's doing what she can for health reasons to stay off her phone
1: there's that classic line isn't there that there's only two people who cause their customers users and they are drug dealers and tech companies these things are made to be highly addictive you were being manipulated.
0: I'm so chuffed to welcome Annie McManus, Annie Mac to many of us to Grazia Life Advice. Rhiannon hello
1: thank you for having me. We
0: were just discussing how to best describe you because you have about 12 job titles don't you so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're a podcaster your podcast is called Changes and, and tell people what that's about first if um, if they've not listened yet.
1: Okay, so Changes is a podcast, it's very, very straightforward and and simple, which is it's about change. So it's about all the different facets of change, like the stuff that happens to us that we have no control over and how we kind of navigate that and get through it. And then the stuff that we want to affect, like the change that we want to affect in the world around us. And we like to ask the, the People that come on the podcast, the same three things every time, which is the biggest change of your childhood, the biggest change of your adulthood, and then the biggest change you would like to make moving forwards with your life. And it is good in that you just kind of get straight to the nitty gritty. Uh, so, you know, it, people have spoken about their parents' divorce, uh, their parents going to prison. They've spoken about um, grieving. Uh, I mean, it's, it's endless. And the more I do it, the more I realize just how vast and expansive the topic of change is. But it is quite ironic that I launched it in 2020, (laughs) where the year (laughs) changed irrevocably for everyone. Um, It's felt felt nice. It's felt actually really constructive to be able to go and, and just chat to people about change.
0: And obviously people will know you as the radio and DJ, but you've got a big change coming up in that you're about to bring out your first novel as well. So how are you feeling about that? The book's called Mother Mother.
1: Yes, it is. So I feel equal parts terrified and excited and it fluctuates often between the two. It's a massive change for me in so many ways, but also, I guess, deep down, it's something that I've always wanted to do and kind of harbored a, a, a desire to want to try and achieve. So it's been wonderful and that's opened a door for me to realise that I I, I I loved the process so much and that I want to spend more time doing it, basically. It is about motherhood
0: and, and relationships and grief. Explain the plot of the book. Um, so it's about,
1: it's a kind of dual narrative. So it's based in Belfast, and it's based in the kind of 80s and 90s in Belfast, but also in the present. So it's a you you have you, you follow one guy in the present who wakes up an 18 year old boy and in the house that he shares with his mom and his mom isn't there which is very rare and so you follow his journey in the present just wondering where the hell his mom has gone but it's a it, it's a book that is grief and motherhood and and growing up and it's a book about addiction as well and family loss i mean it's pretty dark yeah <laughs> my husband finished it and he was like you've written the darkest book where did that come from um (laughs) and I don't know is the answer but um I hope that there is also some light in it too fantastic
0: and um when did you fit in writing a book I mean are we talking late nights weekends you've got two kids as well as four jobs
1: yeah um I'm trying to think how so well I, I did a course initially in order so that I would have to fit it in. And that was only like one hour every three weeks with a tutor. But then there was deadlines with that course that I had to hit, which was at five thousand words every three weeks. So that was really good in to kind of enforce this discipline. And um after that I finished the course and, and kind of just kept just doing it wherever and whenever I could. So that could be in the back of Ubers. It could be, I tried to do an hour every morning because that was a really constructive time for me to write at weekends here and there. You know, as soon as I put a movie on for the kids, I'd be legging it to go and write. There was only really one weekend that I was away from home and that was to try and really finish the book and I just had to go somewhere and write for like 12 hours a day. Um, but that was amazing to have that amount of time yeah. and now I'm like if I ever get the privilege of being able to do this again I would definitely try and do you know a week away somewhere you hear about people going on writing retreats that is like magic like that for me that is the dream situation so yeah it, it, it was just kind of everywhere I could.
0: And the book is out in May which is when the whole world gets to read it um so I want to move on to your pieces of advice which is what you're here for today and your first piece of advice is to never underestimate the power of no so I'm interested in where that came into your life and how and how you learned the power of that
1: I just think it it kind of represents a lot about where you are in your life if you're able to say no it represents having conviction in what you want like saying no kind of starts with knowing what you want to say yes to mm. and if you know what you want to say yes to if you have an idea in your head of a vision or a plan or a journey then saying no is a lot easier because anything that deviates from that um, not going to work um, okay. so so for me it, it, it's kind of it, it's what saying no represents it also represents on a psychological level the idea of you feeling strong enough in your own skin to turn things down and miss out on things and miss out on opportunities and experiences. And it's about, that is about knowing your own mind and knowing what you need in order to be a fulfilled, thriving person. And when I was young, certainly, and I think it's totally normal and instinctual to do this, you just say yes to everything. You're just mad for it. You want all the adventures. You want to try everything. You want to try all the new experiences. But when I hit my 30s and I had my first child when I was 34, that was when I started really learning and having to say no, because it was very much a situation where everything was still on the table when I came back to work. All, all the cards were there and I could have I, 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 I could have kept going and I did to some extent, but um, I had to learn how to say no very quickly to a lot of things. Anything that felt excessive had to go. I had to reprioritize really what was important to me. And I've done a lot more of that in my 40s, actually, really interestingly, like even more extremely. But in my 30s, it was less kind of like, what do I deep down really want to do? It was more just like, okay, how do I just keep everything floating? Yeah. Like, I just need to do enough to keep the boat floating <laughs> on the water and, and if I can just do that and keep my career going as it was, then I'll be grand. So the, the no's were all around that, basically.
0: It sounds quite freeing. I mean, for lots of people, they'll think no is negative, and I think uh, interestingly, you pulled out that kind of FOMO aspect as well. Like, will I miss out on something? Is am I making the wrong decision? But for you, it sounds like it was just, you know, not not simple, but
1: it was something that really helped. It was, yeah, it, it really, really was. Um, and I think it's very empowering. Your second piece of advice is to try
0: not to base a choice on expectations, and I wondered what that was to do with, if that was a certain time in your life, you you learned that?
1: I guess there is expectations. There is expectations. um, And there has been expectations for me in terms of being a person who is on the treadmill of being a performing DJ, traveling around the world, um, doing radio shows and all of that business. I guess there's an expectation that you would want to keep doing that and you'd want to get bigger and you'd want to play to bigger audiences and be as big a DJ as you can be. That's never really been an ambition of mine. I think I definitely fell into, through no one's fault but my own, this idea of me, you know, I have to to stay on this treadmill. There's not that many women doing what I'm doing at this level. None, in fact, in terms of what I do. There wasn't back then anyway. So I'm the only one. And I feel like I need to be there so that people can see that someone is there doing that who is a woman. I felt a bit of that. I felt like part of me was like the ambitious part of me is really like, I need to be doing this. I want to be doing this. I want to be showing people that this is possible. And then the other part of me was just knackered, I was just tired. And yeah. and didn't want to have to perform in front of people and felt like a bit of a fraud and felt like just all these huge feelings of self-doubt and all of that. So, you know, I, I think it's just, and again, it takes growth and evolution as, as a person to know what you really want. There was always something on the horizon to be terrified about. There's nothing wrong with that. You should challenge yourself all the time. But I, I think I just needed a bit of a break from that.
0: It's interesting, because when I first read that, I was thinking more of your own expectations of what something might be. But I think it's interesting, you were taking on board other people's expectations of what they would thought you would want for your career but also how you mattered and it was important for you as a woman to keep pushing I mean how do you manage now those kind of pressures and people saying oh Annie we need you to be this voice we need you to
1: to be out there for us I just have to be very uh firm and definitive about about what I do and 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 and, and that business I mean it's it's I do speak out a lot in terms of gender imbalance and stuff and I feel very passionately about that and if I can't be there in person physically on every lineup which I just can't anymore and, and that's my personal choice and I, I'm fine with that I'm totally at peace with that and then there's other ways to show your passion for that but yeah that was that that piece of advice was always about other people's expectations it, it wasn't really my own it's a whole other story Rianne. and
0: Mm. Yeah, that seems like a lot of pressure to have on yourself. Um, Your third piece of advice, can you tell me about that, please?
1: My third piece of advice is start every decision based on your own life with does it bring you joy and is it worth your time? Now, I do want to proceed talking about this with the idea of how privileged that sounds. Like I appreciate that a lot of people aren't in a position to contemplate whether their career gives them joy. It's does it fucking make enough money to put food on the table? So I really appreciate that that this is very kind of fantastical in that way. But if you are in a position to think, and a lot of this the listeners of this podcast will be maybe younger and starting out and still trying to figure out what it is they do want to do with their lives, it's important to base your decisions on that when you can. Time is precious, and you can get sucked into doing things with your time that you, a lot of the time, just don't need to be doing. And I learned that lesson again a lot after I had kids because I just didn't have the luxury of wasting any time. And it was it was crazy how I I just had to like streamline everything. I had to shrink my work time to really small and I had to do everything in a tiny amount of time. And it meant that I was hyper-focused But also anything that was surplus just went and everything still ticked over and everything was okay. So that was a big learning curve for me. A lot of the stuff you do ends up being stuff that works well for other people or suits other people or sitting in meetings that you don't really need to be in. Like I've always felt very passionately about meetings and how what a huge time waster they are it's just it's just about that it's just about really thinking about what what you put your time into and it could be as simple as writing it down and it could be that i could be spending 2 hours a week doing you know an online course that i re- that's really helping me go the direction i want to go in and i can make those 2 hours out of taking other time out so yeah does it make you happy does it bring you joy and is it worth your time i think are very noble and healthy ways to begin every decision making process about how you spend your time
0: yeah what brings you joy in your career what are the things that you now look for
1: um I think it's connection I've thought about it a lot recently actually um I really enjoy connecting with people I like talking to people my job is basically that I didn't go into it for that but it's I've realized now there's something in my subconscious was attracted to that um I'm a very impulsive person, so I like the immediacy of live radio. I like that you can play a song and say something and get immediate reactions on text and Twitter. I like the kind of the exhilaration of the live experience. Music brings me joy, and putting it together in a meaningful way brings me joy, and just the act of creating brings me joy. So music curation has always been my main job, and there's something deeply creative in that, in terms of making a journey out of music and joining the dots of music. But when it comes to actual creating something from nothing, like going into a studio and nothing before you go in and then coming out and you've written a song, that to me is magic.
0: Yeah. And I love about your advice so far, and is I can tell that you practice what you preach, you know, you're talking, I want to do more writing, I'm going to do
1: more writing. It's been hard to do. It's been a long, slow change, trying to find time and eke time out of my career in order to do that. So it, it, it's, yeah, I feel excited now, hopefully to have a tiny bit more time than I did to write. <laughs> Fantastic. We'll be back with more from Annie after this.
0: We're back with Annie. And Annie, could you share your fourth piece of advice with us, please?
1: OK, so my fourth piece of advice is... Always know the baseline of why you are spending time on something and make sure that the time equals the passion that you have. Mm. Right. So that's a bit of a long and meandering one. (laughs) But it's again, it's the idea of always being aware of what you're spending your time on. And it sounds obvious that, but it's very easy to slip into a situation where you are just coasting Mm -hmm. and, and, and just treading water, just trying to stay up because of busyness and things going on and you're just you're just in the treadmill sometimes it's really important to try and take yourself out and that could involve having a conversation with someone who's neutral and has nothing to do with what you do it could involve writing it down like i suggested previously but just look at what you're spending your time on Mm. and make sure that you know as much of that that is possible practically is is spent on giving giving yourself opportunities and space to, to be stimulated and you know joy, joy. It's all about joy um, and and stimulation and to feel like you're thriving and to feel like you want to get up in the morning and and do what whatever it is that is.
0: Yeah, and I wonder, do you take this into your personal life as much as your professional life? Is it about saying? I don't want to spend three hours with these people that I'm not bothered about. I'd rather have three hours in the park with my kids or with a best friend you don't get to see as much.
1: Yeah, I think that happens very naturally as you grow older. I noticed it in my 30s that a lot of the friends that I had in my 20s that were associated with going out and, you know, they, they just kind of fall yeah. away as you have kids and as you 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 are less out and about and being seen in places. And then in your 40s, like really extremely more so, and especially in COVID, you know, in 2020, when you don't have a chance just to run into people here and there, I think we were all forced to really think about who we wanted to spend our time with, our Mm -hmm. very precious time with, um, who we wanted to stand two metres away from. Um, And it it does force you to, to, to look at that and really assess that and who's in your life. But I do also think that in your 40s, you are aware of the people in your life and how they affect you and make you feel. And there is a less tolerance for the people who um, don't make you feel good about who you are mm. in whatever way that could be. And you kind of understand that friends, I don't mean like they should pump you up and make you feel like you're the best thing ever, but it's just they, should, they shouldn't make you feel awful in your own skin. Yeah. You know, that's not a friend. You learn that as you grow older and you learn about the people to kind of keep close.
0: A lot of your advice has been based around things you've kind of come to learn as you've grown older. I mean, do you wish you could go back and tell 20-year-old Annie this, that and the other? Or I mean, I guess everything brings you to where you are today.
1: Yeah, I really don't. Like I I, I don't regret a thing about the, the way that my life has turned out. There's been some very, very, bonkers crazy times and and I look back at the way that I live my life in my like late 20s and early 30s and I'm just like how <laughs> did you do that yeah and it's just so so frantic so full-on all the time and I, I'm very happy to be in the place that I am now looking back having done that yeah glad that I've done it but I don't I don't want to change a thing and and I probably wouldn't say anything to myself back back then about I would just let myself go on and make my blunders and figure it out.
0: Yeah. And I love, as you touched on, for someone who, you know, lots of people would think of as a superstar DJ, that your fifth piece of advice is that scheduling is your friend. So, (laughs) I mean, is that something, do you have to stay really tight now to make sure you get to do everything you
1: want to do? So, yeah, it's it's been a bit of an evolution with the scheduling thing as well. So, again, since last year, the scheduling has changed somewhat for different reasons but before then it was just yeah like if in order to get the stuff done that you need to get done everything has to be really tight and you know you have a certain amount of working hours that that you are able to do before you are a parent again and you have to maximize them and make sure that you are doing the most amount in that time and you know that involves like 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 i said less meetings less unnecessary meetings or taking your meetings as phone calls in the car on the way to work in the evening which I do now but my friends actually take the piss out of me a lot for how stupidly I schedule um I get panicky sometimes like when and this is my bad and I'm probably too extreme when a schedule is is like messed with because there's like the domino effect isn't there everything is Everything is in there, but it works for me. It really does. And and what's what's been interesting is since last year, since COVID, um, now it's like I'm sat in a room all day um, because my kids are at school till three for three days a week. Um, So I have this. You can see it there. I have this whiteboard. Oh wow! Yeah, there's there's not a lot of scheduling there yet, (laughs) but. So what I started doing, because I started feeling really lost without a schedule because I had all this stuff that I wanted to do, like writing and, you know, ideas. and But because they're not fixed things and I'm not being held to account by other people, it's all personal projects that are kind of more creative. I felt like a little panicky and overwhelmed that I didn't, I was kind of flitting from one thing to the next. So I bought the whiteboard so that I could try and schedule my days into blocks so like and that's been helpful in order to get the stuff out of my head and just because sometimes you go into a day and you're like oh I've got so much to do but because it's all uh kind of not really concrete stuff like direct meetings with other people it can feel overwhelming but when you actually make it into compartments and write down I'm going to spend half an hour doing that an hour doing that and you can see it Mm -hmm. in your head and I don't know. I find it a lot easier to get through it that way.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's, and as you say, it's about working out what works for you. I'm, exactly. a, yeah, I have to make lists. If it's not on the list, I'm scared it's going to leave my brain. And it's just easier to yeah. work through, isn't it? Everyone has their process.
1: 100%. Yeah. And that works for me. I do, I do love a schedule.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what's probably not in your schedule is social media. So your sixth piece of advice is, there is no greater barrier to productivity than social media. I mean, it's something we all know, but we probably find hard to put into practice. Taking yourself off Instagram and Twitter and things.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say don't don't feel bad about yourself for for finding it difficult because they these things are made to be highly addictive. You are being manipulated. Uh, by algorithms and technology every day as soon as you open your phone Mm. you are a pawn in someone else's game of capitalism and 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 you you know you can't they're they're designed in a hugely sophisticated manner to be addictive so first of all don't feel bad about yourself but secondly I'd say just be aware of what it really is um there's things that you can do like, you know, stopping uh, notifications on WhatsApp, like little things like that, that can really affect how addicted you are to your phone, how much muscle memory you use in order of picking up and scrolling. But I have found some things that I've found really helpful, which is just always having a place in my phone, in my house that I charge my phone that is as far away from my my bedroom as possible. And ideally, ideally, not, not in the kitchen either. So that when you come down, and you make your breakfast, you're not going to your phone you're not actually looking at your phone until you are like on your way to work or sat at your office desk and then it feels like that um like like something that is work related which most of the time it is um so yeah I just I just feel like if you allow yourself a couple of days without your phone you will be unbelievably surprised about how much you get done Mm. Give yourself, optimize, you know, your, your opportunities to actually get stuff done and to give yourself the headspace. Like all this other advice that I've given today is advice based on knowing who you are yeah. and knowing what you want out of life. And the best way that you can do that is to give yourself the headspace to figure it out. And the best way you can get headspace is to not be on your farm. And the best way to like yourself and, 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 and kind of be comfortable in your skin and, and have the conviction and And the courage to say no and to understand your path and to go down that path Mm. is to not live in a comparative culture where you are comparing everything you do, everything you wear, every experience you have to other people. It's completely self-destructive. And I am a 42-year-old woman and I still get sucked in. I still do this all the time. And I still have to remind myself to put my phone in a bleeding drawer and not look at it for three hours. As I said, it happens to everyone and it's just an ongoing scru- struggle, but it's about self-awareness in terms of how you use the phone. There's that classic line, isn't there, that there's only two people who calls their customers users and they are drug dealers and tech companies. And that says oh, it all. Yeah. It's, it's an it's an addictive thing.
0: I mean, as a public a public person, you do have Instagram and you do post pictures. I mean, do you have rules that you kind of go by, what you're happy to share, what you're happy to not? Is that is that a good way to handle it?
1: Yeah. So I don't ever share pictures of my kids in terms of their faces. And that's something that me and my husband are quite serious about. And I mean, there's no judgment for anyone who does. You know, it's just our personal choice. Mm-hmm. And like I I have totally got sucked into Instagram in the past and felt like, oh, God, I need to be putting up pictures of myself and people expect this. And oh, and that whole awful dopamine thing that makes you feel so cheap and yuck yeah. and when, when when you you know you get likes and you feel happy about it and then you feel yourself like wanting to do something more to get likes and it's just so horrible the the, the whole game of it but I try and keep as far away from it as possible while still being in the game because there's elements of social media that I really like the creative side of it and I can I can feel it creeping up where you kind of constantly looking at someone else's account that you feel like is doing life better than you. You start feeling this weird kind of sense of competition or resentment or or, or just like feeling bad about who you are. For I remember the first time I muted someone who was like a a um just like a, a I guess a peer in the industry. It felt amazing all my problems were solved because I kept worrying about like but they're doing that and maybe I should be doing that and I just I just muted them and it was literally gone just like that so it's about constantly remembering that you have the power to not look at these people (laughs) and and if you feel like again just being aware of your movements and your actions and how much of your day you're spending looking at other people and um how that's making you feel
0: Brilliant. And Annie, we always finish on people giving us the worst piece of advice they've
1: ever been given. But you you said you couldn't think of one. I can't one. think of any. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rhiannon, I can't think of any. It's, I'm, I was brain dead. I'm still trying to think of, of some.
0: No. Are you a kind of person who listens to other people's advice or is it things that you've had to learn yourself?
1: Yeah, I, I always listen to other people's advice. Um, I'm, ha- I'm very happy to ask people for advice as well. As you can probably tell from this podcast, I just pour it all out. Um, so I'm happy to go to people and be like, this is how I feel. What shall I do? Please help. Yeah. Um, and the people who I normally ask advice off are people who are more experienced than me. And obviously my parents, they have a, they have an intrinsic opinion on stuff that I feel like is based on kind of kindness and common sense. And my husband is also quite a unique person in that he is extremely perceptive but also very much bases his whole ethos in life and his career on kindness. So he's not ambitious. He's not about trying to um, outdo other people or that kind of thing. So I feel like his advice is always very constructive and in the right place. And he knows me also inside out. So I find like that he's, uh, I do listen to him. I don't ask him for advice a lot of the time, but when I do, it's serious and I listen, if you know what I mean.
0: Fantastic. Can I just ask before we go, obviously, if people have become used to you listening to you on Radio 1, obviously, have or DJing live on stage, that's a totally different person, I think, from what we've met today. And, you know, you're obviously not that person 24-7. Do you find yourself having Annie Mac, Annie McManus and, and different personalities compared to where you are? Uh, I don't, actually.
1: I feel like I've always made a point of trying on the radio to be authentically myself for the very pragmatic reason of it being absolutely exhausting, having to put on some sort of a persona all the time. Yeah, I, I, I don't feel like that different, basically. The, the difference between Annie Mac Maness and Annie Mac is that people know Annie Mac from the radio because that's uh, my my name was abbreviated to that. But Annie Mac Maness is very much the same person, probably just older and maybe a little bit wiser, but, <laughs> but no no different, hopefully, than than the Annie Mac people know off the radio.
0: Annie, it has been wonderful talking to you so much good advice that I think people can really take into their days and and make their life a little bit better
1: so thank you very much absolute pleasure thank you for having me
0: Annie McManus there thanks to her and thank you to you for being with us as ever I know we say this a lot but it's because it's important if you've enjoyed the show please share a link on social media tell someone you know who you think would also really like it or maybe leave us a review on your podcast player we always always appreciate that support Next time on Life Advice, we're with podcaster and TV host Kate Thornton. My mum worked as a dinner lady at our school mm-hmm. and then she did cleaning with Minan. But I'm telling you now, if my mum had been born when I was born, she would be a top flight career woman. She's super smart and she was never given the opportunity to realise her potential. And that's true for so many women of her generation. Mm-hmm. And... I know that she gets a kick out of what I do for a living and the fact that I have carved out a career and a profession. See you then.